Hey everyone, before we jump in, Miles and I are so grateful for all of your support and we want to remind you all to always dive within the limits of your training and experience and always follow the advice of your instructors and dive masters. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for formal dive instruction. We are thrilled to have this space to share our stories and experiences and thankful we get to share them with you. Stay safe out there and have fun. We now welcome on a very special guest. It is David McGuire. He is the heart, brains, and strength behind Shark Stewards. Hi, I'm David McGuire. I'm the director and founder of Shark Stewards. We're a nonprofit, part of the Earth Island Institute based in Berkeley, California. Uh, I'm also a research associate at the California Academy of Sciences and a marine biologist. And we work in shark conservation, primarily around policy, uh, but also establishing reprotected areas in the Pacific between California and all the way to Southeast Asia. Uh, David and I actually met uh, about six months ago at the Long Beach Scuba Show. And we've been trying to come up with a time to have him on and, and talk, uh, talk shark stewards and sort of hadn't happened. And then we got to actually dive together uh, on a shark dive down in San Diego. And unfortunately, uh, there were no sharks out that day. Um, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit. We got skunked, uh, by, by the sharks. We got, we got missed, but, uh, I wanted to start sort of, first of all, welcome to free descent. Uh, we're, we're very grateful that you've taken this time. I know you're very busy. You're headed off to a, uh, a city council meeting to advocate, uh, on behalf of the San Francisco Bay, uh, in a little bit here. So we appreciate the time. Um, how did shark stewards start? Where did it come from? Uh, well, I used to work at UC Berkeley for the integrated biology department, and I uh, took a little time off on an expedition between 2001 and 2003, and we were diving coral reefs in the central South Pacific, so the Tuamotu Archipelago, and uh, we were looking at reef health and community structures, but uh, also shark populations, just kind of anecdotally. Uh, and Associated was Dr. Enrique Sala, who was at Scripps then, and he's now National Geographic Explorer in residence. And Enrique was the one who really elucidated the connection uh, between apex predators and marine ecosystems and the the health of uh, the trophic levels in coral or marine ecosystems. Uh, he wrote several papers, but we were actually documenting that and seeing reefs that had sharks, a lot of sharks on some of those reefs and healthy corals and more biomass and also seeing reefs that had no sharks. And that was alarming. And since I was a photographer, uh, mostly topside, they handed me the underwater camera <laughs> and I didn't know how to use underwater cameras. I didn't I had a Nikonos with film, but always seemed to ruin my shots a long time ago. Uh, so you can imagine I've been diving a long time, if you know what a Nikonos is, uh, one of the first underwater cameras. And uh, so we were documenting underwater, and I actually saw sharks that had been finned. Uh, we asked the local people what happened to all the sharks, why they were fishing them, and they told us that it was the shark finners. We went into the port of Papayete eventually, uh, saw this Taiwanese flagged ship that uh, had loaded with shark fins. No shark bodies were coming ashore. Shark finning was not illegal. It was not condemned yet by the United Nations. There were no fin trade barriers. Uh, and we asked some questions, went back to, to Cal, did some research and realized the trade global trade phenomenon, how shark catch had escalated significantly in uh, at that time, just in the last decade, and the dramatic decline in shark populations. So I did some research, and we went back and documented it and produced a film called Shark Stewards of the Reef. Uh, so I quit my job and uh, advocated for the first shark fin ban, and, and uh, we've been working ever since, uh, state by state, and working in uh, other countries, trying to gather trade data, working at the CITES level, which is the Convention of International Trade of Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna, 
to list threatened shark species from the wildlife trade. And uh, so, yeah, since 2006, I've been going, uh, working full time to protect sharks and the habitat that they live in. What countries do you work most closely with? Well, we started at home, which I think anybody should do. You know, there's we always have problems wherever we live, and it's also the place that we can have the most impact on. Uh, but so we started in Hawaii and California, supporting Hawaii, but working with communities and in California where I live. Uh, and uh, but moved on from there because I had been working in French Polynesia. We worked to support the shark sanctuary there. So there is no shark fishing in French Polynesia now. And Fakarava, which is a popular dive destination, now has hundreds of reef sharks. Where when we were there, there were not hundreds of reef sharks. There were scores, which was abundant compared to some of the other atolls, but uh, not nearly as much as now. Uh, we work in Malaysia in Indonesia and Singapore primarily. Uh, we did have a chapter in Shenzhen, China that is still there, which are, it's all volunteer driven. It's, it's a education effort. And of course, because of COVID, we weren't able to go. Um, I'm hoping to return in 2024. So uh, yeah, all the way across Pacific, we, we confine ourselves to one third of the planet. That's still a lot it's of a very important. No, I mean, it's a very important third. And I think, you know, we were talking a little bit before about everything that goes on in the Southeast Pacific, you know, looking over to the Asian side of everything. And it's a really important and um, a hot spot when it comes to shark conservation. Yeah, it, it's a hot spot for biodiversity as well. You know, yeah. Over half the species in the marine world live in the Coral Triangle. There's the highest biological diversity on the planet, and it's probably most at risk. Uh, it's also a major carbon sink. And with a huge growing population, you know, as you go there as divers, you see all the, uh, the young people. The, the demographics are half the population are under 20. And those are hungry people who rely on the ocean for their source of protein primarily. And, and it's also a major dive destination. So maybe those two, we hope, combining shark ecotourism, primarily around sharks, but shark ecotourism and dive ecotourism can provide alternative livelihoods so that we can protect some of these hot spots of biodiversity and particularly of sharks, which are becoming rarer and rarer. Uh, also in these amazing areas that people Go a long way and a lot of effort, like you just did to go yeah, to. Yeah, you, 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 We were talking before. East Tengara. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking just before uh, we we started recording about my trip to Indonesia, and I actually wanted to ask you that. I mean, we I mentioned to you that I only saw two sharks uh, the entire nine or ten days, twenty nine dives that I did. I mean, what does a lack of sharks mean for both us as, as divers, as humans, but also what does it mean to the local communities that, that rely on these reefs that, that I was diving on? Well, as divers, it's certainly not as much fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Seriously. I, mean, it's amazing. I was looking for sharks. I didn't see any. You know, divers are our, our foundation, shark stewards. You know, I'm an active diver and it's, I've been diving a long time and love to dive actively still. And a dive is a lot more exciting and thrilling when you see a shark, but it's also sharks are indicators of healthier ecosystems because you have more of, of a balanced uh, trophic levels when you have apex predators and not just apex predators, which we tend to focus on a lot. And you hear about the trophic cascade and you remove the apex predator and it affects the, the levels below it from the mesopredators, the tertiary predators down to the algivores. And to the fundamental part of the ecosystem itself, whether it be the algae, uh, the rocky substrate, or coral reefs, uh, apex predators are the, the sexy, exciting ones. But the bottom feeders, the mud suckers, the bat rays, the swell sharks also play a significant role in keeping that benthos healthy and uh, avoiding microbes and diseases. So it's great to see Elazobranchs. They've been around a long time, the group of sharks and rays. 
but unfortunately they're in huge decline. One third of species are threatened with extinction. And uh, we know it as divers, we see that vacuum. And uh, like going back to 20 years ago, what we were seeing on the coral reefs is exacerbated now by other impacts, whether it be human populations, development, climate change. Uh, so it, I think that it's like a, a, an indicator. It's like the flag is half, half mast. And when you don't see apex predators and sharks on reefs, and it's also a dire sign that we need to do something uh, to protect habitat as well as protect these species from overfishing. And what do you think, just moving into like, how do we do this? Where do we go from here? What would you say we can do best as divers, as well as like young divers who have a lot of time left in the industry? Where, what can we do? Where do we go from here? Well, divers have a firsthand association with the subsurface and uh, community science is a huge new field that's uh, escalated. I, I co-chair the state committee in California Marine Protected Areas. And I just got off a call and community science is a huge source of using the masses, if you will, instead of just a, you know, one egghead in a in a lab code or one Jacques Cousteau, uh, you now have thousands and thousands of people with GoPros or smartphones that can collect data uh, from fish, from giant sea bass, which is a great community science program, uh, uh, documenting urchins, uh, particularly around the urchin barrens, uh, looking at disturbance, looking at rare species or threatened species that used to be common, like Pycnopodia, the, the sun star or sharks. So we have a, a program called Shark Watch California, and uh, there should be signs all over the dive shops and kayak shops in, in San Diego area for really targeting seven gills, because that was the dive oh. we were on. Uh, yeah. Actually, one of our team, Audrey, just saw a couple and got really great documentation oh, great. Uh, just the last week. So they're out there. We just don't see them all the time. That's great. It's them. actually we so funny them. you mentioned that because the first fun dive that Jake and I ever went on together, we saw seven gill out at the Point Loma kelp beds. And I, that was my first time seeing one. And I was just so jazzed. It was awesome. Yeah, they're, they're like the, the smiley shark. They're great. <laughs> it's how I convinced her to be friends with me. I told her she, she dives with me yeah. and we'll see sharks. <laughs> and I, I think that may be the one of maybe three seven kills I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it was my first seven gill as well, actually. Well, we were a little late in our seven gill dive, Jake, with with Water Horse Charters, and Water Horse has been really great in supporting this yeah, science project. I'm... We found out about the seven gill sharks. I was tagging seven gill sharks with a study through California Academy of Sciences in Monterey in San Francisco Bay, and Mike Bear, who's a big diver, and he started this citizen science program called uh, Ocean Sanctuaries in La Jolla called me up and said, hey, is this one of your sharks? And he sent me a picture and we would place, the, these are just uh, mark and recapture, so Floyd tags, and I have a phone number on it if a fisherman caught it, but in this case, a photographer caught it. And I said, yeah, and I know what year it was because the color and the placement. And so that really piqued my interest. So I went down there, I think it was like nine, 10 years ago, and we started diving together. And now he's on our, our board. Uh, but Mike's been very active and we've been talking to Power Scuba and, and uh, Enterprise and some of the other dive shops, Exos, uh, to get people engaged. And as well as, you know, coming back to what people can do, uh, one of my former students is now part of our science team, Carmen Passos, is doing a socioeconomic study uh, looking at the value of, of tourism, the value of sharks to tourism. So how much money, because we can actually quantify. And then we go to city managers or state governments, or in the case of Palau, national governments, and show that sharks are worth more alive than they are dead. And Palau was the great indicator. Uh, Australia Institute of Marine Sciences did that study decade, 15 years ago, at least, showing one reef shark's worth 1.9 million to the local economy a year. And since the, then, those studies, we've done one in Malaysia, uh, They've been done all over, and we're actually doing a, a comprehensive study of shark ecotourism and the value economically, because people are interested in jobs and money, and ideally sustainable jobs and through tourism. So 
people can get involved with diving. And, and if you're diving with sharks, for example, going down to Cabo Pomo and Baja, that was Carmen's first, that was her master's thesis, uh, showing the government that these MPAs and these shark areas that can actually generate sustainable long-term livelihoods for people who are otherwise fishing or lo losing their livelihoods from overfishing. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, I, and I think that that's a really something I want to just stop for a moment and highlight over a million dollars per shark worth to the economy. I mean, you know, I think I heard the other day a statistic, something around the tune of 100 million sharks every year are being killed. I mean, that's billions, if not trillions of dollars that are being effectively wasted for, mm. you know, flavorless, tasteless soup or whatever it's being used for. I mean, are, are there any bright spots we can look to? You mentioned Palau. I mean, what does the, what, 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 what are some wins we can look to, uh, to kind of brighten, brighten up our day? There's a lot of wins and there's a lot of hope. We're doing a good job in California. We've been protecting white sharks since 1993. There's still impacts, but that population is recovering and we're seeing it. Uh, in Cabo Pomo is a great example. 15 years of marine protection. The bull sharks have come back. The reef sharks have come back. And it's the healthiest northernmost coral reef on this side of North America. Uh, we're working on a swimway with another nonprofit called Pelagica Kakunja. Uh, Dr. James Ketchum and Rio Hoyos uh, to protect this aggregation area as well as migratory pathway that would connect the Cape primarily from La Paz through the islands up to Loreto. So we're actually going down to do an expedition and document it uh, through a short film. But already we're seeing this local movement uh, that's driven a lot by the interest in, in, in tourism and ideally more interactive and sustainable and less harmful tourism than some tourism can be. Uh, in, in Southeast Asia, I mean, Rajan Pat is a great example. Like I can't afford Rajan Pat, but some people can, and it's it's supporting a community. You know, uh, Wild Aid has been involved with that and getting rangers and boats. That's a sort of a more elitist example of marine protection, I think. But we can work also at the community levels, and there's any number of those. We're working uh, in southern Lompoc, uh, uh, Lombok, sorry, <laughs> in uh, in Indonesia, and it's a it's called Source, S-O-R-C-E, and it's a dive lab and it's supported by ecotourism, creating the largest MPA that will also protect some of the reef sharks. So there's lots of areas, the Philippines, a lot of these dive hotspots. Uh, there, there's definitely a lot that we can do that will make headway towards protecting sharks. But unfortunately, with large migratory species, you need to work on fisheries protection as well as trade barriers such as occurred in Panama last year uh, under CITES, where we were able to get 100 species of sharks and rays listed under Appendix 2. And that's driven by trade. That's You mentioned 100 million. That was a, a study done by Boris Worm in 2015. That number is old, and that number is often cited, but it's actually less because there aren't as many sharks. And mm. uh, so the numbers decline because not because there's we're not fishing them. We're fishing them just as much, but they're just a lot less. So there's an urgency as well. And that that speaks to IUU fishing, illegal, unregulated, unreported, where the people's seafood comes from, what seafood they're eating, you know, asking the questions, going back to what can we do? Uh, ask where your seafood comes from, who caught it, how was it caught? And if it's an apex predator, maybe eat something farther down the food chain. Uh, you know, if you're at Sylvia Earl, don't eat fish at all. Fish are your friends. Um, if you want to eat healthier, less mercury laden, eat the high omega three sardines that are uh, much larger biomass. Uh, so there's a lot that consumers can do to protect sharks, even if you're not a diver. That's great information, I think, for everybody, because I know there's divers and non-divers that listen to our podcast and follow the community. So I think that's great. Um, we just want to be conscious of your time. So I'll ask one last question and then I think we'll wrap it up from here. But tell us about your dive story. What got you into diving? 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> Come <Right>. on. <laughs> uh, we I, leave I it open-ended on purpose. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was lucky enough to live pretty near the coast in Southern California. And so I, first time I went in the ocean, I'll never forget it. I, I was seven years old and it was, you know, pretty cold, even in the summer. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> with, uh, I'm like, oh, my God, this is all I want to do. It really was. My parents, who loved to camp, and we'd go to the mountains and the desert, and I'm lucky to come from a really tight family and brothers and sisters, and I, my dad loved to camp. He loved the high desert. And I'm like, after a while, once I started surfing, I'm like, no way, Dad. Um, we got to go to the beach. And uh, I had a marine biology class between uh, junior high and high school, so whatever that is, 15 or something, and that was it. I'm like, wow, I could have a job doing what I love because I'd already been snorkeling a little bit, but not serious. And uh, so I got scuba certified that year. Uh, and so I've been diving ever since and, uh, and just, just love it. I, you know, I still dive in a wetsuit off California. I dive off the Farallon Islands. You know, you hit below the thermocline. It's 48 degrees. And uh <laughs> Get a little older I. I think I actually got a dive suit for a uh, dry suit for the first time. I haven't used it yet. I have used dry suits, but you you I'm should talk to Miles. Miles literally got a dry suit today. I got uh, it yesterday, and I I haven't used it yet. But I shout out to all of our Ocean Enterprises instructors who are hopefully going to teach me sooner rather than later because it's getting cold down there report from last night it's dropping quickly <laughs> well, well good for you for diving wet because you, you see that people um you know as older divers in particular in california and like i belong to scuba club of marin and you know they're all gray hairs mostly and nobody <laughs> dives california and they don't dive wet you know they all die are destination divers so I don't know that I'd stay, stay connected to my roots. I, I went to UC Santa Barbara studying marine biology, diving the Channel Islands and moved north to Berkeley to go to school and, and just keep diving. And I love it. And no matter where you are, if you can get wet, you can get salty. Uh, it's good for your, your mind. It's good for your body. And hopefully if you collect some data or some passion, uh, it's good for the world. Yes, it Ooh, is. I think yes, that's a great, is. I think that's a great thing to end on right there. And we are so thankful that you took the time out of your very busy schedule to meet with us and give us this awesome interview. Yeah. Thank yeah, you so thanks. much and for I coming just wanna, I do want to give a shout out to Maria, who you'll be talking to, who's our Southern California chair and who was bit by a white shark. Uh, we do work with white shark uh, survivors. Um, I investigate human shark encounters. We have a citizen science or community science program called shark watch that includes human shark encounters as well as humans fishing sharks and also just divers that can document sharks so we're trying to get a better grasp and, and it's really the people the divers but the kids uh, maria's really been involved with education and uh, she's very passionate in education i consider myself an educator almost more than anything uh, I, I lecture at universities i worked at berkeley i'm teaching at college of marin uh, education is so critical and reaching people who, uh, who aren't as fortunate as we divers are, who haven't been able to stick their head underwater and breathe or hold their breath for a minute or two and, and look around and experience it. That's our job to share that beauty and that passion to those really largest part of the population to understand right. where fish come from and how fish act, that they're not just something you throw on the plate. There's something to understand and embrace and, and love for their own right when they're swimming in their element. We have to be ambassadors. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that, I think, I think it's a perfect way to end. Thank you, David, yeah. so much for coming on. And we appreciate all the work that you do and, and have done and continue to do. Um, and, and, you know, good luck tonight at, at the meeting in, up in the Bay Area. And uh, we'll be rooting for you. I know we won't see you at DEMA, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. See, probably at the long or LA dive show now, yeah. or oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, seven girls in the spring. Or, yes, uh, seven girls in the spring. Let's the do it. So happy October. Happy okay. October. <laughs> Bye, David. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right, we welcome on another very special guest. It is Maria Corksmaro. So, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep. 
She is, among other things, a triathlete, a businesswoman, a fitness coach, and a mother. But I think uh, the most important, one of the most important reasons we had her on is that she is, uh, like David, a member of Shark Stewards and is fighting to protect and conserve sharks. We love the shark shirt you've got on today. Uh, so welcome welcome to uh, Free Descent. Well, thanks, Jake. Well, uh, and thanks for having me on here. And hi, Miles. And um, I don't know if David told you, but I have a unique story on how I met Shark Stewart. We do know this. We, we, well, he told us that you have a story. Um, and actually, this is a question we ask all of our guests that come on. And we leave it open-ended. So I think this is a perfect way to introduce you and your story is, what is your dive story? So my dive story um, actually is before I became a diver. So um, the way I met David was um, I, because I am a triathlete, I was swimming in the ocean training for a half Ironman way back in um, May of 2016. And I was in Corona Del Mar State Beach um, in Newport area, and I got bit by a great white shark. So um, when I was in the hospital recovering, about six months after my recovery, maybe three months after my recovery and getting out of the hospital, David had contacted me through Facebook and asked me um, how it happened and because he's a marine biologist and he is a uh, shark expert, he wanted to know how it happened and, and the circumstances surrounding it. So when I told him all about it, he was like, wow, that's a really unique story. And um, he's a swimmer as well, so we had a lot of things in common. He also is a triathlete or used to do triathlons back when he was younger. And he actually went all the way to Kona and did Kona Ironman. And that was one of my dreams. So we got to talk triathlons and all that stuff and really hit it off and then I said so what is shark stewards all about he said well shark stewards um protect sharks shark fin trade and we do marine protected areas and I I was like okay so what's the shark fin trade because I really didn't know a lot about the shark fin trade he said well the shark fin trade is killing every shark species there is um that they can catch for their fins and they make a, a delicate soup called shark fin soup I said, oh, my God, that's, like, cruel and, and like, horrible practice. And and why do they want to do this? And he said, well, apparently the sh- the texture of a fin is kind of like pop rocks in your mouth. It kind of, because it's cartilage, it kind of pops when you put it in the soup. It's not very nutritious, but it's for high-profile business meetings and, like, weddings and things like that in China and Asian countries. So I thought, oh my gosh, that's like a horrible practice. And um, how do you go about like fighting the shark fin trade? He says, well, we do lobby efforts and we try and teach the general public about about what we do and why we protect sharks. I said, well, that's a really cool mission. Um, how do I get involved? And he said, well, you know, I'm doing this um, lobby effort at Lush Cosmetics in Las Vegas coming up in December. Would you like to join me? And I said, sure. And my son is a diver. At the time, my son is a di- was a diver in 2016. He was only 16 at the time when it happened. He happened to be on the beach when it happened. So I thought, you know, this is a great day for him to kind of get involved as well. And because he's a diver, he was passionate about the ocean too. I'm a nature person. I grew up in nature in Canada. I've been camping all my life. You know, I knew about bears in the woods and how to avoid bears and everything. But I really didn't know much about sharks. And um, so we went to this lobby effort in in December, uh, which was six months after my incident. Um, And we helped him at Lush Cosmetics get signatures and things like that. And then after that, I thought, you know what, I'd like to get a little bit more involved with this. And so I asked him, you know, how do I get more involved? He says, well, you know, we take anybody who's willing to help out and, and kind of spread the word. I said, well, I can do stuff like that. And then in... um, while I was recovering in 2017, I was training to get back to the race I missed um, and back into my triathlon training after my recovery. I thought, you know, this guy has a really important um, job to do. He's a nonprofit. He's a grassroots nonprofit uh, based in San Francisco, which is pretty close to Orange County area. You know, it's California. 
And his mom lives down here. His sister lives down here and some of his other relatives. So I thought, you know, I'm a triathlete. I know a lot of people in the running community, in the triathlete community. Maybe I could put on a run. And, and I developed the Run for Sharks and Ocean Health Fair in 2018 as a fundraising event to help him fundraise for his programs. So he does a lot of citizen science projects and he does a lot of online youth education. So I thought, what a great way to raise funds for his, his programs and also to get the general public involved and the community involved and get community members involved as well as businesses and people that love the ocean. Because in Southern California, we're all about the ocean here. We're there surfing. We're there doing our thing. We're jumping in. We're just there because it's fun and it's exciting and it's something we love to do. And we have Catalinas close by and all that other fun stuff. So I thought, what a great opportunity. So that's when I started the Run for Sharks. And we've been going strong ever since. And this year, it was our sixth year. And we had more than ever participants. We had 122 people participate, as well as volunteers and sponsor booths. And it was a huge event, and we just had a great time. And um, and we're kind of rolling with it. Well, fan- that's fantastic. Uh, congratulations on another successful event. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it, but we, we did try. Um, I want to sort of dig in a little bit on – you know, I think it's hard for a lot of, especially my, my non-diving friends, and I know Miles, we've had this conversation as well, that they don't really understand why we care so much about protecting sharks. Um, and for you, you know, that, that has d- a, a additional layers to it. I can imagine coming from one of the most traumatic experiences ever to protecting sharks that there had to be some mental gymnastics that took place. What is that, what is it like, what does it mean to you to protect you know something that that uh you know is that that had this that had this impact on your life yeah well you know um to me because i grew up in nature and i'm yes i'm outside i prefer to be outside. that's my thing and um my son being young at the time 16 and being a guy i don't know young men can be very blunt and so said mom he said, don't you know you're a prey on top of the water? You're part of the environment underneath. You should become a scuba diver. And I thought, yeah. was, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. I should become a diver. So in 2019, I got certified to become a diver and to get back under the water. And it was part of my recovery, too, because I wanted to kind of get more comfortable in the water. I wanted to get back to my swimming in the ocean and I had taken two years off, well, two years off swimming where I got bit in Corona Del Mar State Beach. I swam next door and because I was getting ready for this race and I thought, you know what, I need to swim in the ocean because I'm an ocean swimmer and I need to get back. And so five months later, I did this, did the San Diego triathlon in Mission Bay and it was a, a shorter swim area and it was near this marine research center so I felt more comfortable there. I swam with my friends and I had three kind of freak outs just in six feet of water or 10 feet of water, just because someone jumped in behind me and I was just like, oh my God, a shark. And then I saw a bunch of kelp and I thought it was a shark and I kind of literally jumped in the water. And then uh, it was a foggy day one day and I'm like, I don't even want to get in. It's too foggy. I can't see anything. I did get in, but I was very, very nervous. So that kind of kind of helped my mental process and as I talked more to David about things and David said you know the chances you're getting bit by a shark are like a million to one and you know the shark experts who came to my hospital room and interviewed me Chris Lowe and Ralph Collier um, they both said the same thing to me and Chris Lowe he's even written articles and he said you know he's been on Shark Week for the past X number of years and he always says, you know, the chance of you getting bit by a shark, even in California, are like three million to one. Because between all the people that are in the water that live in California and all the tourists we have here, the chance of you getting bit by a shark are like so slim. And I'm like, well, yeah. buy a lottery ticket because maybe I should win a lottery. <laughs> <laughs> what has the transition been like coming, you know, from that traumatic experience into advocating? Well, you know, it wasn't really a big stretch for me. Um, for me, I just wanted to do something to dispel the myth that it was the shark's fault. And it 
like sharks are there to eat humans. Sharks are there. We should be scared of sharks. And, you know, I know David um, feels very adamant about the shark and how it's portrayed in the media. You know, it's like the media, if it bleeds, it leads. And so every dog bite you hear about, every shark attack you hear about, and they, sh they don't necessarily show you the gory pictures unless you give them permission. But they're just like, well, you know, this is a very traumatic event. And really, I mean, they're not there to eat you. They don't like you. And, you know, Shark Week, in all their guts and glory that they do in Shark Week, they have kind of evolved a little bit to kind of break down why shark attacks happen and how they happen and what is the reason behind these things. So I think they're doing a good job about spreading that awareness that sharks don't want to eat you. They put human blood in the water and fish blood in the water and showing that sharks really don't like human blood. They prefer the fish blood and all this stuff. But we've been so conditioned and even with Jaws, you know, the scare factor with Jaws, like so many people after Jaws didn't want to go back in the water, right? Yeah, I, I, I saw that interview. Uh, it was on the BBC, I think, with with Steven Spielberg, where he said he truly regrets um, making that movie and putting it out, portraying sharks the way he did, because he knows, you know, he's seen what hap what's happened to shark populations. I mean, they have these crazy hunts where they just go kill sharks for no reason. Uh, yeah. Other than to say they found some big thing and you know that that has big teeth and killed it, right? Um, the author that, right? And and that's what I like. David had met the author and before he passed away. I think he has passed away by. And and you know he had said that too. He said he regretted even writing the book and bringing it to the screen because of okay. that that consequence, right? And so now, what we're fighting, and even get a sponsor like a corporate sponsor for the run which would be like leaps and bounds for david's programs it's just like such a hard thing to sell because really? why do we want to protect a shark why do we want to sponsor your event like what is it you're doing here you know chris lowe understands all these understand we understand the scuba divers because we're under the water we go just to see a shark right I mean, I'm not going to go see a tiger shark anytime soon or a bull shark or a great white. I might do some cage diving, but really, I don't want to be chumming the water. I don't want to get them all agitated and excited because, hey, if, if they come close to me and there's chum in the water and everything and there's a fish beside me, I might get bitten, right? And that's why these guys, like, there's a dive wall somewhere where you can go see bull sharks and they have sticks. Right. And because those bull sharks, if they get too close, they're going to poke that shark because they need to keep their divers safe. Right. It's not necessarily going to do anything, but you can tell if you've ever been diving with a bull shark, those little sharks or those little fish, they get the heck out because they know that's the top predator. They know that that, that shark is either going to eat them or chase them or maybe not even pay attention to them. But basically nature knows nature, right? It's like a bunny rabbit is going to run away from a wolf, is going to run away from a coyote, you know? You know, the very beginning of an open water class, we have an orientation and we ask people, we're like, what are you excited about? What are you nervous about? Like, what are we going to work through in the next like week or two weeks that we're working together to become scuba divers? And so many people say, I don't want to see a shark. I don't want to see a stingray. I don't, you know, those are the things I'm really nervous about. I don't want to be in deep water. Like, I literally tried doing a seven-gill dive a year before with PCH Scuba. I couldn't get in the water because I was with a bunch of women. I wasn't with David. David kind of makes me really brave. So when I got in with all these women, I was nervous. And it was kind of murky that day. And the kelp was like, in La Jolla, the kelp is huge, right? And yeah. it's thick. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get entangled in kelp. If I see a seven-gill shark, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to go to the surface. I'm going to get the bends, and it's not going to be good. And I couldn't get in. So I said to the guys, I said, you know what, guys? And they were so good, like water horse charters. That's great. They're, amazing. They're yeah. amazing. We love them. And I mean, and I'm sure you guys are just as good. But, um, but it's like, guys, I'm just going to get in. I'm going to go down 10 feet because I want to see something. And I'm just going to practice, like, maybe my my buoyancy or whatever it is. 
but I just can't go to the bottom right now. And they're like, I totally understand. Like, we just give you kudos for just getting in the water right now. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And, um, you know, one of the, I'm trying to work my advanced right now and I couldn't do my deep dive in Catalina because I was just freaking out because I kept popping up and my buoyancy wasn't perfect. And then I was thinking about sharks and I'm thinking, oh my God. And, you know, I just didn't want to compromise the group. So even now, like there's a couple things like getting back in the water, swimming, going diving. I, I plan on going diving this Friday because I'm going to Catalina for a triathlon. I'm like, oh, it's a great time to dive too. And you know what? I'm just going to get my guy who lives on the island. He actually certified my son. And I said, Mark, I said, listen, I just want to practice my skills for the first 20 minutes and then let's just go on an adventure dive, you know? And, um, and I just want to be super, super comfortable clearing my mask and, you know, losing my regulator, putting it back in all those skills you learn as an open water. But, you know, if, if you get entangled in kelp, you got to be able to remain calm and be able to, you know, find stuff or call for help or whatever it is, or get out of the kelp if your buddy's a little bit farther ahead of you. Right. And like, I mean, we went diving, I went diving with David there and my mask got totally flooded and I was a new diver at the time. I freaked out and I'm just like, I don't want to go up. And he just grabbed me and, and he cleared my mask for me. And then he just, you know, did the deep breathing, deep breathing. And I got a hold of myself and everything was fine. And we were able to die for another 30 minutes, right? And that's the thing, you know, you guys are doing a great service and, and just talking about sharks and, and being able to calm your students down and then show them a shark at the end. Because then it's just like, oh, okay, well, I didn't realize that was a shark. And like stingrays, nobody knows a stingray is a shark. So I love that I can share that knowledge and I can say to people, listen, I know a lot about sharks now. <laughs> There's over 200 species just in California. And my son is like, people have knowledge that you don't even know comes from. And he, he says, mom, we know more about the space than we do the ocean. We should yeah. spend money on the ocean and discovering the ocean. And you know, now David's got this petition for the Japanese and they're, they're still dumping nuclear waste in the trench in Japan because they think it's not a problem. It's like, you don't understand current, you don't understand all the things that can happen when you put a barrel in salt water and things are going to decompose. And like, do you not know what happens to ships when they go in salt water? Like they pretty much dissolve after a hundred years or whatever. So let's, let's tell them, let's, let's share. There, there's an ironic Godzilla twist in there somewhere with that Japanese <laughs> dumping the radiation in the, in, in the oh, sea. Yeah, and then, you know, sure, yeah. um, there, there's something funny, vaguely funny about that, but it's also, it's also uh, you know, pretty you know, alarming. Guys, Steven Spielberg, right? What I love about Steven Spielberg, he's done so many cool movies and this new series he got with Avatar and the way of the water. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Wasn't it beautiful? Like five times now. I know. And I should like times right so good ocean creatures and he's like he's made this whale that can i and and whales are smart right and this whale just like goes in and he just Uh, (laughs) it was beautiful i started watching jacques cousteau and before even national geographic came on the scene right and my kids grew up with me saying oh let's watch national geographic it's such a cool show Right. And so they know I'm a nature nut and they know, they know why I do what I do. (laughs) So how do we, you know, we've talked about a lot about, you know, people that are ocean, uh, ocean bound. They are, you know, divers or swimmers, people like that. How do we bring the, the message of, we need to protect and conserve these sharks. We need to help make sure that there are sharks. How do we bring that message to people that don't understand the ocean the way we do? I think first what we need to do is you need to dispel the myth that they're out there to get right. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just, um, I love that David has this education um, platform on his website. It's called Shark Academy. So you can go in there in Shark Academy and he's got these videos downloaded and his volunteers have helped him develop these videos and they've downloaded on. You can go in and you can watch a video on like a whale shark and learn all about about a whale shark and like i would totally get in the water with a whale shark because they're like the totally calmest shark in the ocean besides like a leopard shark or a horn shark or 
even like uh, Semigal sharks, you know, they're pretty calm sharks. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're docile looking, they look like a little puppy, right? And so, and then, you know, how do sharks breed? You can go in there and you can see how they, you know, how they breed and, 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 and that kind of thing. And you can learn all about these different facts and things. And then you can, you can say, you know what, sharks aren't as scary as I thought they were. And, you know, yeah, there's some big sharks like bull sharks and tiger sharks, but also telling people, you know, this is what you do if you see a shark in the ocean. You know, uh, you don't want to touch wildlife. You know, if it's a bear in nature, do you run up to a bear and try and pat the bear? No, right? You kind of keep your distance. You, same thing with the top predator, like a great white or a bull shark or a tiger shark. You're going to keep your eyes on that shark the whole time. Surfers that are out there and they see a great white shark, they basically know it's going to swim underneath them. But they know what to do if that shark comes close to them. They get out, right? They go to yeah. shark or they might pick another surf spot to go to, right? So spreading that knowledge about what to do if you see a shark in the ocean, what to do if, if you know, you got to make lots of noise, you got to, you know, and if it does come towards you, climb the nearest tree, or if it's going to, you know, roll up in a ball, protect your head, you know, so you got to teach people that too, how to protect yourself, how to avoid a shark attack. Never swim alone. I'm never going to swim alone ever, ever, ever in my lifetime because I know if I'm alone and something happens like that, no one's there to get me. No one's there to save me, right? Yeah. Like enough, I had a lifeguard boat there. It was only maybe 100 feet from me. It got me out in, in less than a minute, okay? If I just went to shore, my arm was bleeding out. Bleed out is your number one thing if you do first aid. They had to put a tourniquet on my arm. I could have bled out, gone unconscious, and been underwater. The shark could have come back because after I met David, I learned how great whites hunt. You know, they're different than bull sharks. They're tigers. So they look at you from below. They come up from 30 feet, and they're targeting you. They're coming up like a missile, right? And they're trying to get the center of your body, or they're trying to grab a limb if it's a seal, right? They look at you from above and Shark Fest. I was on Shark Fest this year. I did an episode for Shark Fest. And with the sun shining down on me, whether you're wearing a wetsuit or a bathing suit or whatever, you look like a shadow. Yeah. Right? You look like a seal. So if a juvenile is upgrading his prey from rays and fish to seals and he sees me from 30 feet below, he's like, oh, there's a seal. It's just like a dog. If a dog says squirrel, He's going to chase a squirrel, right? And same with a shark. If it sees a seal, it's going to go up. It's hungry. It's going to eat, right? It's like going to the buffet. It doesn't know enough to know that that isn't a seal. Right. Until he bites me, right? Right. And if he bites me, I'm compromised. And because it bit my ribs and my pelvis, the hardest bones in my body, it basically let go, shook his head and said, what the heck is that? I'm not used to the squishy fish or whatever it is, he spit me out, dove back under, circled around. And my opinion on that is because the boat revved in and now the engine of the boat is disoriented. It can't see me because it was a murky day. It can't hear the splashing because the boat motor is overriding my splashing because I was treading water calling for help. Can't uh, sense the vibrations in the water because the Ambulai Lorenzini senses all those things, right? And so now it's just like, well, you know what? I lost that seal. I'm just going to swim away. I'm going to go find another one, right? So I was extremely lucky in that instance because if I just went to shore, could have come back, I would have been scared. Um, so I would have been swimming really, really fast. And then it's going to like probably pay more attention to me and chase me, right? Because you hear of that. Oh, it chased the kayak. Oh, it was really after me. Well, no, it just chased the kayak because the kayak was there. And now it thinks, oh, there's more food. Let's go chase the kayak. Um, it's like your bear example. It hurt, it feels the vibrations of something running away. It's going to chase whatever that is because it, because it assumes that anything running away from it is prey. Exactly. And sharks have all the senses of a human, right? So... I mean, when you're dealing with that, plus the Ambulia Lorenzini that picks up the vibrations in the water, it picks up splashing. And uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago on, on Shark Week, 
they had a surfer and she was with bull sharks and she's swimming in with her hands in the water and the bull shark looks up and it goes towards her. And then there's some guys on the beach and they started splashing to attract the shark and she stopped. Then they, it left her and it went towards the splashing of the two guys that were in the shallow area, about six feet went towards the guys. And then they said, okay, start going again. So they stopped splashing and then she started paddling again. And then the shark left the two guys that were splashing went towards the surfer again, right? And then as it came closer and closer to her, they said, okay, stop. And she stopped again. They started splashing and it turned around and went towards them. So they were trying to prove how is the shark finding me, right? And it was senses, it was sight but also the splashing in the water and the, the vibrations of the water, which is one of their high-end senses. And your heart is the biggest electrical impulse in your body. Right. So off, an electrical impulse, and a lot of people don't even know that. Yeah. No, it, it's, that's why we have, you know, we need people like you out there, you know, fighting the good fight every day. Cause you know, we, we can talk to as many people as, as you know, we try to talk to as many people as we can and we try to teach and educate as much as we can, but we sort of, you know, we rely on people that have, uh, you know, more knowledge and, and more experience and, and, uh, you know, can share their stories. So we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing yours and sharing all, all this knowledge about, about sharks and, what what we can do to help protect them and also to you know protect ourselves you no know, um we do do talks so i do talks at schools and i do talks at clubs and things like that scuba clubs as well and tell them my story and how i got involved with shark stewards so that's always open for people if they want to do that they can contact me at uh, runforsharks.org or just contact david because when david's in orange county we do talks together um, he also does talks in San Francisco when he's not filming and he's out of town. He's got a bunch of really big projects coming up for him. So he may be um, overseas in the next couple months or or even next year because he's got a, a bunch of really good sponsors that have enabled him to go and do some filming in Hawaii, a couple other things. So, um, And in Orange County, we're doing beach cleanups now, so you can come and visit us, do a beach cleanup. That's another thing we like to do. Because on a community level, we can get to meet people at a beach cleanup, tell them what we do. We also get to get the plastics and all the other trash out of the ocean, which is affecting not only sharks, but, you know, the fish and the wildlife that live there. So um, we'll link all of that and all of those opportunities in the podcast episode, as well as in our social media and stuff on yeah. and Instagram. Maria, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has just been great. And I'm really excited to just get the word out there more about what yeah. people can do as far as conservation. Absolutely. Thank you guys for reaching out and, and of course. chat with me. Yeah. Of course. If we're ever up in LA, we'll, uh, we'll have to get together. Yeah. I'm going diving. So, you know, we can all <laughs> dive together. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care.